We are parents, we are doctors, we are first responders, teachers, and concerned citizens who have found ourselves at a crossroads. We see our freedoms being stripped away and we can no longer stay silent. We are millions strong, united in a thundering voice and imperative mission that cannot and will not be ignored. We are standing up for the basic human right to raise our own children, earn a living, and make our own medical decisions without the tyrannical overreach that has been forced upon us here in California, across the country, and around the world. We are here to amplify the voices, moving the needle, bringing forth truth, and provide education and resources with tangible tools and expert insights. We are The Unity Project, and this is our podcast. What's up, everyone? I'm Laura Sextro, CEO of The Unity Project and your podcast host. On today's episode, you will hear from Matt Boudreau, an incredible leader in the alternative education space. In addition to being the founder of Acton Academy, Placer, and institutions all over the world, Matt is an advocate for our youth and co-founder of Apogee Strong Mentorship Program. I was excited to talk to Matt about all the work he is doing to help parents find alternative education solutions as public schools become conveyor belts of indoctrination. He talks about his playbook for creative insubordination and playing the game of college and the need for strong mentors in the lives of children. In this episode, he highlights all that is wrong with public schooling and how you can find a better option for your family. Welcome, Matt Boudreau, to the Unity Project podcast. We're so excited to have you here. Um, let me just tell everyone a little bit about your background. You are the founder at Acton Academy uh, Placer Schools. You're the co-founder at Apogee Strong Mentorship Program. You're a host at the Essential Leaven podcast. And you also help driven entrepreneurs open student-led campuses for real education and freedom. Uh, in addition to that, you have a pretty strong background, it looks like, in public speaking. You've actually delivered TED Talks, as well as uh, speaking to over 250,000 people across the globe with clients ranging from Lockheed Martin to the United States Air Force to Caterpillar and Honeywell. And I think it's a really uh, important fact our guest, a uh, fun fact, I should say, about Matt, that he used to have, uh, he, he dabbled in a little bit of kickboxing and MMA. So uh, I thought that was a really fun fact to learn about you. That's awesome. and, to, and today, so yeah, welcome. I'm excited to have you here. Honors, mine. Uh, let's, let's just jump into this. Let's talk about what's going on in the schools. Uh, one of the things that we hear about at the Unity Project a lot, um, because we're dealing with trying to stop these vaccine mandates and the craziness uh, that's going on in the state of California, parents come to us all the time and say, what can we do? Because we are desperate. Um, no matter what the school is saying, they are going to move forward. They're going to mass vaccinate. They're going to want to see um, uh, masking and the parents are now potentially facing, it wouldn't surprise me, more lockdowns on the horizon. Right. And so they're desperate and they say, what do we do? And I always say, it's a, actually, it's a very, very simple answer. Homeschool. Yeah, sure. um, it doesn't have to be something elaborate. doesn't have to be an attempted coup of the school system. You can literally just pull your children out and homeschool. And I think there's so many benefits to that. So tell yeah. me a little bit about the Acton Academy. Tell me about homeschooling and, and how yeah. you ended up here. Oh, so good. And there's so many different ways we can go with that. So I always preface um, conversations around this on a couple of different things. One, I am very pro good human beings who are teachers and administrators in our school system, right? I always have to give that caveat because people listen to my critiques of the system <laughs> itself and they go, right. this guy hates teachers. No, 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 no. Here's the deal. I was one, 
right? right? I worked at Stanford for a long time, saw the game there. I was a public school teacher. I was a public mm -hmm. school administrator. I was then a private school teacher and a private school administrator, all of these in the state of California. So mm -hmm. I understand the game inside and out, which is precisely why I left that game to build the campuses that I built, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, I always want to preface it with that. I understand those things inside and out. Part of the way I built um, my first campus in 2017, you know, was the first Acton, Acamp Acton Academy campus that I built. Mm -hmm. um, I knew uh, two things. One, from a pedagogical standpoint, in, in terms of how we're educating young people, mm -hmm. the conveyor belt school system is set up to do that ineffectively on, on purpose. Mm -hmm. So I knew that. So I wanted something that was a different approach um, as far as how we were actually educating versus schooling, those are two different things. Sure. Right? And then I also knew because I'd been in the game that all of these mandates and I was, obviously I couldn't have predicted COVID, but I right. knew at every possible turn and anybody paying attention to SB 277 years ago and all those things, you could see the writing on the wall. This was going to be something that was going to be a problem in perpetuity. Right. And so when I set up our campuses, I set us up in a way that was essentially we were a homeschool tribe, a homeschool co-op. And I did wow. that very intentionally so that parents could register with the state as homeschool. Uh -huh. They could be outside of all this and then they would pay a membership to act in and they would come and then we'd educate versus indoctrinate. Right. Wow. So what incredible forethought proactively doing that. And again, that's just nature of of being in the game for so long and paying attention while I was in it, right? Right. So, um, you know, so that's how we set up. And then, you know, at this point, while I'm setting up other Acton Academies all over the world, um, not every other place deals with exactly what California is. So not everybody has to worry about that specific part of the, the mandates and things like that, but we still take a different educational approach too. So, um, you know, but I understand there's tuition involved and I understand that's hard for so many parents uh, especially when culturally in the religion of school, we've been trained that it should be free. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's a big leap to think, oh my gosh, to pay for something else. And I fully get it. But like you said at the beginning, homeschool is another great option. Uh, and right, there's a right. million ways to do it. None of which should look like school. Right. None of which should look like school. I love that. And it's just, it's, there's gotta be a different way. It's, it's interesting that you said you were a teacher. My mom actually, uh, is a school or was a school teacher. She actually retired, uh, this last April, she spent her entire career really, uh, teaching in South central LA. Mm. And I felt like she spent her entire career at odds with the administration, um, for, sure. for the, just for, for crazy things, yeah. right. For, for crazy things of actually educating the students, providing an incredible learning experience and environment for them. It seemed to be, uh, whenever she did that, it seemed to be that she was the most at odds with the administration. And um, yeah, for, for her entire career, I it was shocking. That. I yeah. believe that. No, I was always what I called, uh, I called it creative insubordinates. You know, and I, was, <laughs> I was creatively insubordinate and I got, you know, I got pulled into a superintendent's office um, and the conversation was, was basically, Hey, look, we're in a really tough spot. We really want to, um, from an administrative standpoint, you cause us a lot of headache, cause us a lot of issues. And, and we really want to, you know, you push back against us and you don't do what we're asking. And um, we, 
have a hard time with that. It's like, you're being insubordinate. We should let you go. But on the flip side, all of your coworkers absolutely love you. And all of the kids and all the parents say you're by far the most loved teacher. And it's not because I'm amazing. And because I'm special, it's because I valued each one of those humans enough to say, eh, the system that's not serving them, I'm not going to play that game. I'm going to try to unlock what they have, right? And that is, it's at odds with the system um, Mm -hmm. uh, of conveyor belt schooling. So tell me why you think the system has been set up to be this kind of um, conveyor belt belt, um, schooling, as you said, and I've got my opinion about what's happened in some of the ideologies that have been um, presented lately. And the fact that they're Frankly, I would say probably 75% of what children see in schools nowadays, there's no pedagogical value in at all. Um, And I personally experienced that and having questions at my own um, children's school, some of the material that's been presented. Yeah, for sure. Um, So this is one of those things where I tell people, you know, if you hear this, if it sparks anything, what I would ask you to do is go read anything you can find by a man named John Taylor Gatto. G-A-T-T-O is the last name. He passed away a couple of years ago uh, as an American treasure. And by the way, if you're a teacher listening to this, there's a reason you didn't hear about him while you got your teaching credential um, because you'd leave. You'd leave leave the system, right? Because he lays out out the system. He articulates it. And this was a public school teacher, mind you, New York State teacher of the year twice. He was a public school teacher for 30 years. He defined creative, you know, being creatively insubordinate. So he does a better job on the history, the history part um, than I do. But the, the 30,000 foot overview is this is a Prussian model, right? That was brought over. People have this thought that it's like, okay, I'm sure a bunch of experts got together in a room and they went, okay, how do we really, really set a foundation for educating our population? And so that's why school looks the way it is. So that's why we've always done it that way. And it's quite the opposite. The, the thought was, how do we create factory workers that are intelligent enough to follow orders, but are wildly obedient and don't have a skill set or a mindset enough to go, this could be better. How do we change the status quo? How do we innovate? Right. And so then hmm. that's the foundational level. And then years ago, our teachers' unions. Um, which I love the fact that there's a parent union popping up. I think that's fantastic. Um, the teachers union. I'm excited too. Teachers right. unions need to be taken out. They're, they in my opinion, the out. single most corrupt entities. And frankly, I think that they are uh, what is probably single-handedly responsible for keeping us in such a lockdown for so long. Bingo. On purpose, intentionally. They were taken over years ago. We're talking about you know mm-hmm. 50-ish years ago where they were taken over and it was this slow burn of how do we create, you know, and it was part of a larger scale sort of deal, how do we create all of these issues um, for for our young people? And so, you know, slowly seeping in more and more indoctrination, slowly tightening the reins around, um, you know, any kind of uh, creative ability for the educators who are going in there altruistically, truly wanting to help young kids. How do we handcuff them more and more? How do we slip more indoctrination in? How do we narrow the scope of, academia? How do we make sure we're downgrading, um, you know, family value in society and morals and how do we like all of that um, has been slowly trickling into where we are now. And it's, it's not something that will be uh, fully recoverable without massive, massive political 
fight and change. I mean, it just won't be sure. Which is why we're creating something different. Yeah. Um, it's amazing to me now we're seeing all this information coming out where teachers are asking students questions and intentionally saying, you know, don't tell your parents sure. that to me is like, you're breaking the cardinal rule of parent child relationships. Think about that. I mean, every parent, the first thing that you teach your children is to be honest and to make sure that they always tell you what's happening for their safety. Right. I mean, I know that with my own children, I would always say if something happens, no matter what someone tells you, you always have to tell me in order to protect you. And then they go to school and they are uh, they have this barrage of information coming at them yep. that is, uh, that it's frankly just radical ideologies being forced down their throat. Right. Um, and then, and then they're told not to tell their families because the teachers know that the minute these parents know what's going on, it's going to be, um, a, a huge problem. Right. And it's my, what I find to be horrible, especially over the last two years is well, not over the last two years, really over the last year since we've been vaccinating um, the human population, kids are now shamed if they go to school and um, if they, based on their vaccine status. We, early on when the vaccine started coming out, we started hearing stories of horrific discrimination in the schools where um, kids, and, this, and I'm not making this up, there have been cases where kids um, were actually put, a, a star was actually put on them yep. And yeah. they were told to sit in a certain area because yeah. they were unvaccinated. That's right. uh, I mean, when I say that, I go, no, no, it's the truth because you almost can't believe it because it's so outrageous. Oh, I, it's my all day, every day, because people knew that I didn't shut my, you know, I never shut my campuses down. We didn't require any kind of vaccination. We say, hey, there's freedom here. You, you pick, mm -hmm. right? We didn't require any kind of masking. We said, hey, look, you're mm -hmm. free to choose. Um, everybody chose not to. Um, and so, uh, all day long, every day for the last two years. It's, you know, my, my email, my DMs, my whatever, it's nonstop. Mm -hmm. So I'm talking to the parents who are going through this. I'm talking right. to the young heroes who are going through this or who are made to sit over here because they're refusing their mask. And so then they're being kicked out of school. And they're, I mean, I have dear friends mm -hmm. who I'm talking to as they're walking out of the school office, you know? So this sure. is, this is real. That stuff is really well, real. And the school has found a way to work hand in hand with uh, governmental agencies to right. weaponize the situation that we're in. Um, right. I, I have a friend whose child went to school, refused to wear the mask. Um, the child was then essentially put on the sidewalk and was not allowed access to any of their personal belongings. So this child had to sit on the sidewalk in front of the school um, for four hours before their mother could come and pick them up. Uh, I mean, that that's blatant child abuse. I've also heard that uh, they do, you know, schools have done that similar thing where they, they take and they kick the child off of the school property, don't allow them access to their personal belongings. And then they call child protective services and report neglect on the parent. That's right. And so what does this tell you, right? The school, the primary function of our government schools is obedience mm -hmm. and the problem with this is so multifaceted and honestly it is it, it really it is a genius thing that they have done it's mm -hmm. genius because 90 it's like 92 percent of our population goes through these public schools right for 12 years mm -hmm. so you've got 12 formidable years to work on a mindset of a human being and then mm -hmm. what happens is 
that human being has created such a bond with their captor, right? The Stockholm syndrome is so strong <laughs> that that person comes out, no matter what their experience was, they usually feel ill-equipped to educate their own children or they believe they're ill-equipped. Mm -hmm. So then they turn around and send their own children back into the same system that left them feeling ill-equipped. And they mm -hmm. think that that is education. And they feel like it is the thing you have to do. And then, oh, by the way, most private schools who don't have to follow the same kind of format are so indoctrinated as well that it's the mm -hmm. same pig, different shade of lipstick. They <laughs> right. do the exact same thing. Right. And you create a same kind of problem. This obedient population that can't fully think, can't articulate a thought, can't, can't think critically, can't, isn't capable of civil discourse, right? You've sure. got all of these issues. And, and at the end, are com completely ill-prepared to deal with any facet of life, whether it's, to your point, critically thinking, whether it's balancing a checkbook. I'm not even sure. I remember when I was a kid, and this will, this will show you how old I am, but when I was in high school, we actually had to take a, a class. I'm sure, I think it was part of our one of our civics classes, yeah. and we actually went over balancing a checkbook. Um, there's no shop classes. There's no home ec classes. Right. There's it, it, to me, what it feels like is there's an overwhelming amount of, um, I it's not, I'm for lack of a better term, it's not information. I'm going to say just radical ideologies and thoughts that are, um, that are children are faced with. I, I'll never forget. I went to my, my children's school because, um, they, they had been presented with some information, um, which seemed a little bit shocking to me. Um, it was, they actually, he, he was presented with information. It was, um, second amendment information. And so it had a bunch of satire cartoons. And, um, one of them was a woman who was the scarlet letter and she was cradling her, her NRA uh, weapon. Mm -hmm or excuse me, she was, she was represented as a scarlet letter, but she was the, the NRA. Right. NRA and then she was cradling her, her M16 or AR 15. Mm -hmm. And, uh, another one had a picture of a teacher with, with an AR 15 pointing it at her students saying, if you don't do your homework, I'm going to shoot you. Mm -hmm. And, and the list kind of goes on. So of course you can imagine, I went down to the school and I said, you know, can you explain to me what this exercise was all about? Um, can you explain to me what the pedagogical value of this, this exercise was? And I was told that it was a quote unquote debate, a silent debate, which in and of itself is an oxymoron, because how do you have a debate if you're doing it silently in your own head, other than, you know, being crazy, if you're debating yourself silently right. in your own, right. your own head, you certainly can't uh, gain any value out of debating yourself, right. In a, in an educational environment. Um, but when I went down to have the conversation, the first thing that this, the superintendent of academics said was, I, I just want to remind you that this is a no place for hate. And I remember saying, can you explain that to me? Was there some impetus for you making that statement? Because that to me seems silly. Um, that would be like me saying, I want to see the sun rise tomorrow. Of course, school should be a no place for hate. The fact that we now have created um, this, this, uh, need to make children feel like there there's, there's no place for hate. It's almost like you have to, it has the, the opposite Im impact, right? Where you go, well, why are we saying that it's a place of no place for hate? Of course that, that should go without say, nobody wants to send their children to school to be in a hateful place. Right. 
but the 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 real meaning of that is oh by the way we're going to say some things that are woefully inaccurate and woefully um you know marginalizing and intentionally uh provocative and uh oftentimes inappropriate and then we're going to go ahead and define what hate means uh, which essentially means you disagree with us. That's hateful, mm-hmm. right? Right. And so it's all it's that's that's what it is, right? Is it's right. Pr- putting the the foundation down for well, if you have a problem with what we are doing and you don't think it's appropriate for young children, um, we're going to label that as as a hateful act, right? It's a hate speech, and it's and that's you know uh, that's asinine to its core. That's part of that indoctrination. The other uh, interesting or, or ironic kind of thing with that, that statement that that superintendent made is that systemically speaking, uh, not just academically do things not transfer over to the real world, right? I don't know when the last time I run multi-million dollar businesses, I couldn't tell you the last time I did calculus, uh, <laughs> trigonometry, right. geography. It's just not- the, some We, of those we do it every day here at the Unity Project. project. No, I'm, I'm sure kidding. Go get it. <laughs> Um, I'm kidding. <laughs> so, so not only, you know, academically does so much not transfer over systemically, the way we operate in schools doesn't transfer over either. Mm-hmm. I don't ask another human being's permission to go to the restroom. I don't only right. associate with people of my same data manufacturer, where I then automatically look down on people who are younger, automatically revere people who are older, um, right, and then right. create these false social hierarchies where since I don't have a voice all day because I'm constantly asking for permission, well, then on my free time, the only mm-hmm. thing I can do to exhibit some sort of power is to create a click that then treats other people the wrong way, right? It literally mm-hmm. is designed to provoke more bullying type scenarios. If you think about it systemically, the only other system we have in our country that looks sort of similar to that is prison, where you create right. different people out on the yard and you've got your different clicks and you're different, right? And you don't associate with these guys and you don't associate and we don't have any power during the day. So we create these weird hierarchies to give ourselves right. some semblance of power, right? It's the closest thing that we have to mimic it. Wow. That's a really interesting analogy. It's amazing what we put these kids through, right? I, I, I was uh, talking to another, I think, I don't know if it was Peter McCullough or one of our other um, guests. And I was saying that these lockdowns to me feel very much like um, what we do to, to POWs in times of war. So, you know, we lock down the country. We tell kids that they can't go to school. We tell kids that not only can they not go to school, which at a developmental time, um, it, it's important to have human interaction, right? And have those developmental experiences. Uh, we tell them that they literally can't go to parks because all the parks are closed down. All the beaches are closed down, all the hiking trails, right? Everything is closed down. So then they, they basically are uh, put in a box. I think most kids probably ended up just sitting in their bedrooms on their computer on zoom. Right. And then we wonder why in this country, we now have epidemic levels of suicide and depression and, um, and every other thing that you can think of, the negative consequence for children. And I always say, it's no surprise. I don't know why anyone would act surprised by this. We did exactly what they do to POWs. POWs in Vietnam, they took them, they put them in a box, they socially isolated them, and they broke the human spirit. It's exactly right. what we've done to our children. Exactly what we've done. And just to make mm-hmm. sure 
they didn't get any extra boost from their parents. We make sure the parents start facing economic struggles, start facing um, you know, the loss of jobs, lockdowns on, on their own, start being fed through mm-hmm. media that uh, you know, the world is gonna end, they're gonna die, their kids are gonna die, their kids are gonna be taken away from them. We start creating all this panic too, so that the only potential solace these young minds have are their parents and their parents are mentally broken as well. And so now they're right. living a life out of fear. And what that does for the young person is, well, now they're seeing this is how you live. You live in fear, right? And that is what they're learning. And it's not just these two years, like the, what we just did to our nation, what we're continuing to do to our nation, we don't even understand fully the ramifications to our young heroes. Um, And it's, it is heartbreaking and it's, it's horrifying. Um, Sure. You know, the only solace I have on that is going, okay, well, I know we did right by our kids and by our kids, I mean, the, the campuses that we had, we kept everything. Mm-hmm. They weren't affected. They weren't impacted, you know, and right. that was a beautiful thing. And I'm so grateful for that, but my heart breaks extra for people that didn't have that experience. Right. right. Well, I mean, think about what was that, that study that came out that, that babies that were born during the, yeah. the lockdowns had a 20 point drop in IQ. Yep. Sure. I, I don't even know how to wrap my mind around that. Um, sure. And, and, I would encourage anyone who doesn't understand the IQ scale, a 20 point drop could literally mean the difference between being an average person or someone who, who suffer, suffers from uh, mental retardation. And the social emotional, I mean, uh, you know, when you tell people, I have found when I break down the conversation, just go, look, you know, uh, you've heard all the, you've heard the studies. I don't know the exact percentage, but what, you know, percentage of communication are, are the actual words. And most people mm-hmm. know that that's a small part of it, right? They understand sure. that the, uh, you know, the intonation and, and the way the, the body language and the, all of those things are so much more powerful, right? The, the facial mm-hmm. cues and all of those things are so much more powerful, such a bigger component of, of communication. Cool. Well, you have these young people who are learning and developing how to communicate with others, how to read other people, how to, and they can't, they are literally getting no opportunity to do that because the people that are talking mm-hmm. to them and dealing with them have their face completely covered Yeah. during the most fundamentally developmentally important uh, parts of their life. And it's, uh, we just, we created a crumbling foundation to begin with. Yeah. Oh, it's terrible. Um, let me ask you this. What are your opinions on the role of the school in a child's life. You know, there's been this debate is our schools designed strictly for reading, writing, arithmetic, right? Leave the rest to the, to the family and to the community. Or um, do you believe that schools also there should be responsible for an element of um, helping, uh, for helping to raise the kids, some cultural influence, emotional influence, social influence. What are your thoughts on that? It's a really good question. So the, the, the fundamental question here is what are schools for, right? Mm-hmm. What are Correct. schools for? So if we go back, you know, we, what we got to remember is that school is this hundred and some odd year experiment in society. Prior to that, we didn't have, uh, we didn't have schools. We didn't have, you know, community schooling like that. It wasn't a thing. There was community, but there wasn't community mandated schooling. And so people learned by doing. People worked together in a community. You often, you, you often um, trained underneath your parent or another mentor of some sort. 
um, and you mm -hmm. gained a skill set there. Maybe you were an apprentice and you went on to try to provide value and trade with other people that had different you know, values in that, in that community. So if we're looking at it fundamentally, what is what should school be for? Well, it should be for the allowance of an education in partnership with the family unit. And I say an allowance because this goes back to what I said at the beginning. School, schooling is something that is done to you. And education is something that is unlocked and it is something that uh, you then have to go find for yourself. So what, what it should be is a collection of adult mentors or guides, not lecturers, not indoctrinators, not people that tell you what to think and when to think it, mm -hmm. guides and mentors who have some of their own experiences, who then in partnership with the families go, cool, how can we unlock what's inside each one of these people? How can we work together to just amplify the number of experiences this young person gets to have so that he or she can more quickly understand who they are, mm -hmm. build confidence for, from taking on some hard things, right? Get some self-awareness and some self-confidence to then go unleash in the world. That's what the ideal situation should be. What are you seeing from the kids that go to the academy? Well, Describe, describe your academies a little bit a little bit more in detail so so the listeners can conceptualize. Yeah. Um, and then I, I would like to know the positive benefits that you're seeing from people from young, excuse me, from children yeah. that are learning in these environments. Yeah, I mean the, the benefits are easy because it is it's what we were just talking about, the self-confidence, mm -hmm. the self-awareness. Um, you know, the, uh, the ability to adapt, uh, the ability to, to uh, engage in civil discourse, the ability to control their emotions, the ability to understand how to provide real value in the real world, um, mm -hmm. and to maintain relationships that matter in all aspects of that, right? Those are the benefits because what they're essentially uh, experiencing is life, not school, mm -hmm. they're experiencing life, which directly transfers into life. So, um, the way I shake parents up right at the beginning of any kind of informational session is I say, look, our ideal day on our campuses is that none of the adults show up, none of the kids notice, it doesn't matter, nothing changes, and it's still run like a Fortune 500 company. That's awesome. You go, oh, that's cool. <laughs> that's cliche. That's, and I'm like, no, 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 no. That really happens. It really happens where I can take the adults completely out of a room of a bunch of eight, nine, 10, and 11 year olds. Wow. For the entire day, and they will run their entire day in a productive manner and be excited the entire time. That's real. Wow. So we are equipping them with the tools to be able to do that. So that comes mm -hmm. in the form of having Socratic conversations every single day, not what to think, mm -hmm. how to think, how to articulate your beliefs, how to listen to the other person who may or may not agree with you how to genuinely listen to them and then present your evidence, let them present theirs. And at the end of the day, we might go, Hey, high five. We disagree, but we're still friends. Right. The Socratic method is so important. Uh, I've seen it used in law schools on occasion, but on occasion, um, it, right. on occasion but it's right. one that I think is a really important method. It's extremely important. Mm -hmm. um, and so then they also learn to set their own individual goals Mm -hmm. from an academic standpoint. And by academics, we don't just mean you're, you know, 
math class, history class. It, no, it's if they want to pursue some traditional uh, routes, they're welcome to do so. If they want to learn those same concepts through individual projects, they have the ability to do that as well. My oldest daughter didn't like traditional, or she doesn't like traditional um, math. She gets kind of bored with that, but she'll make a mock business um, and you know create an entire PL. Um, that's 11, amazing 11 years old that's math wow right? she's probably got the most out. successful lemonade stand in the entire community no i'm kidding uh, well, <laughs> um, i mean i always tell people we have horses because my daughters who are 11 and 9 bought the horses with their businesses so yeah, yeah. they understand math um so from an individual standpoint they get to do that but then they also get to collaborate around real world projects every five or six uh -huh. weeks they're bringing, um, they're bringing a project to life in some sort of a public exhibition. And that might be um, learning how they might be creating a city and figuring out how to run electricity to the city. They might be all starting and launching um, their own businesses, which many of them will mm -hmm. take into perpetuity. They might be um, creating rockets and testing different fuels and having a competition of setting rockets off. They're doing real world things so that they're mm -hmm. gaining that self-confidence because they've done some hard stuff. They're gaining the self-awareness because they go, oh, I really liked this. I really did not like this. All of that's mm -hmm. valuable, right? And then they're taking on responsibility on campus as well. They all have jobs on campus. Uh, the younger they are, obviously, the more mundane the job. The older they are, the more comprehensive that responsibility is. They take on massive responsibility. And then all of that earns them the right to take on internships and apprenticeships as they're older, right. working in fields they think they're interested in. You provide a, an educational experience like that, so much different than being schooled. That's a really um, interesting aspect that we definitely lose in the traditional school setting, that, that, that element of responsibility. I think most kids go to school and they, you know, they get there 8, 8.30, they go to their, their four or five periods and they leave. Uh, and they go home and it, there's no elements of in, responsibility and accountability yeah. infused uh, accountability outside of maybe doing your homework. But, you know, in states like California, they're now looking to do away with accountability for homework, even and accountability for testing and um, talking about doing away with SATs and, and any form of um, benchmark. So, so now it just becomes an environment where your kids just show up and whether or not they participate or engage, um, is not relevant. And yeah. it just, it literally seems to me like it's becoming a place where children are babysat. It's, it's a place for them to go. Right. Correct. It's, it's to build intentional apathy, uh, mm -hmm. and an apathetic young person becomes an angry and a lost young person, right? Mm -hmm. That massive responsibility. It's not just because we want them to learn responsibility. It's because that's how you find purpose. And sure. Right. It's because you take on massive responsibility. You take on all of these experiences and that's what allows you to figure out who you are and what your purpose is and gives you right. the tool set to then go dive in and create value in that area. And then, oh, by the way, the byproduct of acting in that way becomes happiness and satisfaction and, sure. and good relationships. Right. So you avoid all of that altogether by just creating apathetic young people from the get go. Right. I wonder why everybody's so upset. Do you, do you ever listen to Jocko Willink? Yeah, I know Jocko. Yeah. Okay. So you probably know the whole concept of discipline equals freedom and this. And one of it's, our, it's, it's one of our family rules. 
Yeah. Yep. It's, uh, we, we used to joke and say it was our Bible, um, but in, in our house, but it's true. I think similarly, it's this whole concept of working for something, holding yourself accountable, mm-hmm. um, and learning those skill sets early on that create happiness actually in human beings. I find people to, to your point that are very apathetic are, are actually incredibly unhappy, um, human beings kind of floundering through life. And it's, it's sad to think that we're creating generation after generation of human beings that are like this and to your point, extremely compliant. I mean, if you, if you look at what's going on in society nowadays, we have a virus, um, that has virtually, well, it has statistically zero impact for, um, the pediatric population. So, and I define that by anyone under the age of 18, mm-hmm. if you're under the age of 75 and you're a relatively healthy person with no comorbidities, it, it has virtually no impact. So we have this virus out there yet that, that, that has virtually no impact on the human population. Yet we have a society of people that are tripping over themselves to comply with whatever the government is telling them to do. And the interesting thing is that what the government is telling to them to do has tremendously negative consequences. They're telling them to go out and get vaccinated, triple vaccinated, quadruple vaccinated. And we're now seeing the data that, that's come out um, as a result of that. Um, yeah. They're telling them to go out and get their children vaccinated when their children are at zero risk and they are not vectors of transmission, yet people are tripping over themselves to, to get to their doctor's offices, get to their, you know, to the local, um, you know, CVS or Walgreens and get their kids vaccinated for no reason because they're complying with what the government is telling them to do. And they're complying unquestionably. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And then the other sneaky layer of that too, is that even people that don't want to comply, um, you know, the parents, and again, I'm not, this isn't a dig on the parents. I just want them to really, really take a, a look in the mirror and go, hmm, is, is this something I've done? I'm saying I don't want to comply to all of this. So I'm going to go to a school board meeting and I'm going to fight to put my child back into a normal indoctrination center that is essentially an arm of that government system that's created all of this compliance, right? Like I would not, I'm telling (laughs) parents, this should be the wake up call you need to pull in any way that you can. Let me help you. Let me help you do it uh, effectively. Let me help you do it inexpensively. Let me help you start a whole campus of your own if you want to do that, however you want to do it. But you, hopefully the writing is on the wall right now. Like, look, these government centers are not for us. They're not, they're not here for the benefit of our children. So I'm not going to fight and take my energy mm-hmm. to fight to put them in there. I'm going to fight to create something different. So what do you say to parents that go, well, if I pull my kids out of school, I'm a little bit nervous because that means that my kids are just going to be sitting there by themselves and, you know, I'm going to be interacting with them, but they're not going to have any friends. What do you say to parents that say that? Yeah. um, So provably, provably false uh, that they wouldn't have any friends. Yeah. If you're going to lock them in a closet, no, they're not going to have any friends. Um, But as far as the social (laughs) is the socialization thing, there's a few different points with this one. You can still get together with people and hang out and have friends, whether that's in a a sports setting, whether that's just getting a bunch of friends together, whether that there's a million ways to do that Two, Mm -hmm. It's a myth that young people are not quote unquote socialized 
Um, if they only hang out with adults, it's actually not necessarily a bad thing to just mm -hmm. hang out. As long as those adults are good people leading by example and providing a good example, it can be wildly beneficial for young people. It can actually ramp up their maturity. It can ramp up their desire to be impactful humans on society. It doesn't only have to be, again, people with the same date of manufacture, right? And then the mm -hmm. third part, when people say, ah, oh, what about the socialization? Go back to those, what we were talking about earlier, the false hierarchies, right? The, the systemic uh, parallels to prison. That's right. the socialization you are fighting for is that that's not reality. That's dangerous. That is bad human behavior that you're then pushing them into, right? right so that's right. not worth fighting for either. Wow. I'm going to, I'm going to forever remember that analogy. It's a really powerful analogy. And I encourage every parent to really think about that, wrap your mind around that, because, um, it, would you want to send your children to prison right. to learn social, social skills, learn, right. you know, any type of academics, no one would, no. right. No one would do that knowingly. We had our Man Uncaged event, myself and, and seven or eight other um, just phenomenal mm -hmm. entrepreneurs. We brought, brought all these dads in and, and you know, was challenging them to be better dads, husbands, fathers, leaders, entrepreneurs, all of those things. And we started having this conversation around this and said, look, you want to level up in your life. You want to be better at all of these things. You want to be a better communicator, better dad, better father, better leader, better husband. You want to be all of those things. So what do you do? You came here to meet with a group of people who are doing certain aspects of that, maybe to a level that you aspire to get to, right? You want to go mm -hmm. to that so that you can grow and you can get better. Not one of you went, well, if I'm going to be a leader, I better go to prison and deal with, <laughs> you know, the shitheads in society because there's crappy people out there. So we just got to realize life sucks. So I'm going to go there. No, of course not. <laughs> That'd be ridiculous. You, uh, you make normal what you make normal. Right. right. So yeah. if you make normal, solid, loving, productive, civil interactions that are uplifting, that are providing, like if you make that normal, well, that's normal. So, you know, they're the thought of like, well, we got to teach our kids that life sucks. So when they go out in the real world, they're like, oh, yeah, no, you teach them how to be amazing humans who are emotional ninjas, who are wildly mm -hmm. capable and wildly confident. So that when they see crap inevitably in society, they go, hmm, that's unfortunate. It's not something I want to be a part of unless I'm going to go and fix it. I love that concept. That wow. Much. Wow. Um, there's been a few friends of mine that I, that I know have homeschooled their kids. And I will say that they're incredibly amazing human beings. It is shocking. You would, th I think it's, it's uh, to your point. I think we've all have this preconceived idea and notion um, that in order for people to be fully functioning, for them to, to not be labeled somewhat something odd, uh, that you have to have them in these conventional right. school systems. What, uh, what would you say, or how do you, how do you uh, uh, handle parents that are, they want to homeschool their kids, but yeah. they don't know how to get started. And they, how do they connect with other parents? Um, what's the best path? How do people get get started in this. Yeah. Uh, I like that you asked that question. What is the best path? Because there is none, mm -hmm. right? There's, there's a million ways to educate. There's one yeah. way to school. There's a million ways to educate. And so when parents can grasp that first, 
um, that starts to open things up, you know, and you kind of uh, prefaced it with talking about really one of the pervading myths of homeschool, it's going to be, you know, you're going to be weird and all this. Okay. Uh, your kids will do what you do before they do what you say. So if you're weird, yeah, your kids might be weird. By the way, you might homeschool, you might public school. I, I went to public school too, and there were some kind of strange people in public school too, right? So it's not like that was the cure-all, end-all, be-all. That has mm -hmm. nothing to do with it. We have this weird correlation with that. Um, so, you know, from a logical standpoint, that doesn't hold up. So when parents are like, hey, look, I don't know what to do. One of the things I, the, the first thing I tell them um, is, is they've got to do some work on themselves first. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Well, one, you got to de-school your mindset. Again, I refer them to John Taylor Gatto to get out of that schooling mindset to go, oh my gosh, okay, that's not about human development at all, right? Mm -hmm. Go to him, go to, um, you know, I give him resources like Oliver DeMille's Thomas Jefferson Education, Sal Khan's yeah. One Room Schoolhouse, um, you know, anything by Ivan Illich, um, Peter Gray's Free to Learn. You know, there's so many great resources to get yourself out of that mindset. Then you need to make sure you've got your stuff together. Are you mm -hmm. angry? Are you living in fear? Do you operate your life like that, right? Do you operate your life where you're telling them to follow their dreams, but you hate your job and they know it and you're not following in your dreams at all? Um, are you hypocritical where you tell them don't lie to anybody, but then they see you lying to everybody else, right? Or, so you get your own stuff together, mm -hmm. get out of the schooling mindset, and then you can sit down and have a conversation. Wow. So what do we want to do? Who do we want to be? That's the more important question. Okay. Who do we want to be? Well, I love that. It almost sounds like this is an exercise in helping all of society, not just uh, teaching, you know, the, finding the right pathway for education for, for children. That's the goal because there's a mm -hmm. million ways to educate, right? And so mm -hmm. then once you've decided who you want to be and what problems you want to solve, not what do you need to do and what do I want to be when I grow up? Those are shitty questions. It's who do I want to be? Those questions. They're awful <laughs> questions. Who do I want to be? What problems do I want to solve? Who do I need to be to solve those problems? And if there are certain things I want, okay, who do I want to be to have these particular opportunities? Who do I have to be? Because then you start looking at everything from the lens of personal development, right? right. Where So now where can I find a mentor that will shoot me in the right direction for learning, not just math, but learning maybe how to run a business and the math that's associated with that. Learning the fact that, hey, there is a legal way to not pay taxes. You can actually play a different 1041 system versus a 1040. We're gonna need to talk after this podcast. No, I'm kidding. Right? So, <laughs> right? so like learning this, um, I wanna be a content creator. Cool, what mentor can I find what, even if it's on YouTube or a great book or a local mentor where I can learn how to really level up my skill set in this, how do I, it's, you start looking at the world that way. And if parents start looking at the world that way too, what happens is you're both looking at the world with wonder, you're, you're peaking curiosity every day and you can't help, but just continue to go find answers that you're looking for. It's a beautiful way to live. Do you see this model working for parents that are um, nine to five or parents that are working shifts, you know, that they, they don't have an option um, for babysitters? Parents. Yeah, totally, man. I get that. Um, and that is, that is the hardest thing, by the way, that wasn't accidental either that we needed two incomes that we've, you know, mm -hmm. government has proposed all kinds of ways for dad to leave and mom to benefit from that. Like that wasn't accidental. 
Of course not. It was uh, by design, right? It's, it's exactly war right. on the, nu the nuclear family. That's exactly right. So um, I fully understand that that is a harder thing. But if you are not, if you're committed to not recreating school, I have helped plenty of single moms who work nine to five to do this. You do need, Interesting. you do need, you know, uh, you need help, especially if they're young, you need somebody to be able to watch the young person during the day. I get, you need a tribe, right? Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, and that's what I love about home tribe and, and kind of what we're building with that yeah. is connecting you to other people in your community. So maybe you take turns and you've created kind of a pot yeah. or you take turns, um, you know, and, and kind of one day they go to this educator and one day they go to this educator and it just kind of helps free up your schedule. So there's ways to do it. We've got the creativity um, and the, the platforms and the networks and all that now to do that. Um, I, tell, us, tell us a little bit more about Home Tribe because I don't think we've touched on that. And I think it's fascinating. Yeah. Home Tribe is actually a strategic partner of the Unity Project. I know there's an event coming up. What is it, June 11th? Um, so yeah, we had the yeah. event in June. So I just got off a call today. It looks like we're gonna actually team up with Charlie Kirk's uh, Turning Point. We're gonna push it back to July and make, oh, it, okay. a, make it a Turning Point event. Um, oh, that's awesome. San Jose, which is cool. It should just get more eyeballs, you know. On, uh -huh. um, and so uh, what I love what Emily Jones has done with Home Tribe, she's on the tech side of it. She's developing mm -hmm. um, essentially an, an app uh, and a web-based platform where people can pull out, they can start to homeschool and they can look and go, what resources do I have um, here in the area or virtually? How can I connect with either other homeschool families or educators that are offering their services on mm -hmm. home tribe and i can connect with them to either do virtual or in-person classes and i can start to piece together and try to just play again collecting experiences mm -hmm. um, that are nearby and so we want to put educators it's almost this matchmaking thing we want to put educators from all over the world on there interested homeschooling parents from all over the world on there and it's like the, the, the Tinder for homeschool, man. Who do I want to hook up with today? You know, I want to hook up with you. What is it? Is it swiping? And just swipe over. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, and it's much more, uh, you know, it's more nuanced than that, but that's the reality of what it is. is we want to connect because there's so many experiences available. And Emily's done a really good job on that um, from the, from, you know, the technical side uh -huh. of that. And then Sam Sorbo and I are going to um, kind of, you know, take the, letting the public know about it side of things. Right. That's exciting. Cause I think that's a really great tool for people who are interested in this. Would you dis dispel the notion that if a child is homeschooled, they won't be able to get into a great college? Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, I love it. And, and I say that cautiously because I also think the universities are an extension of the indoctrination camps, but absolutely um, go are. ahead and dispel that. <laughs> let me, yes. Let, oh my gosh. Uh, this is all my favorite stuff. So thank you for talking about it. So you are right when you say that the colleges are predominantly the indoctrination centers. Um, it's just an extension and it's an extension that you pay an exorbitant amount for and go into debt for. Um, college at this point is a bad move for probably 90% of young people. And I'm, you know, and that's uh, being generous. I did a movie with Dennis Prager and Adam Carolla called No Safe Spaces that should be free right now on Amazon Prime. So uh, I saw that. I actually went to the movie theater to watch it. Awesome. I took my, Thanks. my child to go yeah. with me. And yeah. honestly, if, if, if there's anyone who hasn't seen it, go yeah. watch it. It's yeah. phenomenal. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. It was, a, um, it was a great project to get out there. So that gives people a little bit of an insight. Um, and so when the, the game of college is uh, it's, 
I always tell parents, you probably don't want to play the game in the first place because again, I, I work with fortune 500s. That's how I made my money. Yes. I build schools. I build mentorship programs. I build all this. Mm -hmm. That's what I want to do for my impact in the world. I've made my money working with uh, fortune 500s around the world. I can tell you right now, there are plenty of ways to get the degree required jobs without the degree. If you've got the skill set, the work ethic, the network, um, those things are vitally, vitally, vitally. They're so much more important. Mm -hmm. So um, the, the college game is a very easy game to play if you're going to decide to play it. So let's give you Stanford University, for example, 40,000 applications come in. Um, we've got to take a look and go, look, 5% of these, we can accept anything outside of that. We ruin our rankings in the US News and World Report. All right, so we can only take 5%, regardless if 20% deserve it, doesn't matter, 5%. Right. But there's, Aunt Becky wasn't a, an anomaly, right? There's always a layering system in there. Are you okay. rich? Are you a future donor? Welcome to Stanford University. I don't care if you got a 1.7 and just got out of jail. Um, you know, do you fill a need? Um, mm -hmm. Like a, you're a point guard or you're a cellist or whatever. We need that. Do you fill the... Uh, the either gender or race quota that we are having to play with this year. Like all of these things come into play. So it's not the mm -hmm. meritocracy that people think it is. Right. But, oh, hey, by the way, we might only get 5,000 applications that come from homeschool that have a completely different application process. And like 25% of them will get in. Oh, interesting. Very. Wow. So what okay. I tell people is every university has a different game that they are playing. Sometimes that game changes every year, depending on mm -hmm. what kind of games they're into. So it's not even always this meritocracy, but the reality right. is if you understand how to play the game, homeschool kids are at a massive advantage. Homeschool wow. parents create the transcripts. You can create, here's your 4.0 transcripts and you can prove it in a number of different unique and interesting ways. It's not just mm -hmm. the academic courses. I also started a business. I also ran, you know, I was a mentor in my community. I, you can make yourself an interesting human and a lot right. of times apply in a completely different process and actually have an easier time getting in. Uh, what I wow. also tell families in California is one of the easiest ways to get into to mm -hmm. university is to not even graduate from high school. Really? Drop out. Drop out at 16 and then go do your free junior college classes as a 16-year-old. Get your 4.0 in your JC and then you're 18 with an associate's degree and you're looked at as an adult transfer student, which oftentimes is weighted more heavily than if you were 18 coming out of high school with your 4.3. A lot of times you're weighted more heavily there and you can get in that way. Wow, there's that's fascinating. Million, there's a million ways to play the game. Almost uh -huh. none of them are worth playing Right. But there's a million ways to play the game. <laughs> and again, I just tell parents that so I can go, hey, relax, right? It's right. all good. And then, oh, right. by the way, Discover Praxis uh, and organizations like that are a much better alternative to college than college. What is, what is that? What is Discover Praxis? Discover Praxis is, uh, is an organization that's a one-year program. Mm -hmm. uh, it is so post high school, it is six months of a virtual self-directed um, boot camp of sorts where you're learning mm -hmm. transferable skills. Then you interview often with startups and right. you interview for six months of a position that pays you at minimum the cost of the program. So you've got one year debt free and 95% of them will roll wow. right into a full-time job paying on average 50 grand to start right away. 
Wow. No debt, 50 grand versus college, four, five, six years, lots of debt, no guarantee of a position. Wow. That sure seems like a better pathway than, um, the thousands and thousands of dollars that, that people invest. And I always find that, you know, uh, you get out of college and you're no more prepared for life than, than you were coming out of high school. I started my own company when I was 19 years old. And it was, I, what I always tell people is that is by and far the best education I could have ever gotten. That's right. Um, was, sure was. I also have a college degree, but I will tell you, I would, I would throw my college degree in the trash any day over having had that, um, that the experience of being an entrepreneur and being an entrepreneur at 19 years old, um, it was, and it remains to be the best education that I ever got. Absolutely. It is. Yeah. And I've got graduate degrees too. Right. So I, Mm -hmm. I mean, I did all this. So I, I, and I would throw mine Mm -hmm. in the trash too. And I tell parents that same thing. If you would spend, you know, if you wouldn't spend a hundred grand for your 18 or 19 year old to, uh, to start their own business, but you would spend that hundred grand to send them to a college for four years. You don't care about their education. You care about a piece of paper and you being able to put your bumper sticker on the back saying, I'm a Harvard mom (laughs) and a Harvard dad so that you can prove to society that you're a good parent. Right. I think you can still buy those stickers online, right? That's totally (laughs) the hack, man. Just buy them, stick them on on there anyways. That's right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my goodness. So tell us a little bit more. I, it sounds like the event um, that was supposed to happen in June is evolving. Tell us a little bit more about the event though. I think that it, it's exciting and I'm excited for the unity project to participate and to support yeah. it. Uh, but tell everyone about that. Yeah. So it sounds like, so again, this was just a call today. So it looks like that's mm-hmm. where it's going to go. And I imagine the official announcement will come soon. So we're looking at June 2nd or uh, July 2nd in San Jose. It's going to okay. be, um, you know, in partnership with Turning Point, and uh, it's all going to be about empowering the younger generation. And so we're speaking to kind of the full context, like we were uh, talking earlier. We're speaking to them on how to, um, you know, to navigate this crazy world we are in, and to step outside of of the common myth of what young people should be and how they should act and you know, um, and really equip them with some of those tools while also talking to the parents about, hey, here's how you raise amazing young humans while also talking to, you know, maybe the older generations going, look, here's how you can hire and lead and mentor um, them mm-hmm. as well. And so everybody's kind of taking their expertise and, and going from that. So um, I'll be speaking on, you know, raising, uh, raising dragon slayers in a time when dragons <laughs> exist, right? how to raise strong young people. Mm. Um, Sam Sorbo will, will be there kicking off and, and, um, she's got a very compelling story about, you know, school and why she's getting involved with home tribe. Uh, my friend, Will Witt, uh, will be, will be coming in talking about the challenges that young people face. Um, and I know that, you know, there's a bunch of people from Charlie's team, um, turning point from what I understand that there's going to be like 14 or 15 speakers. And I don't even know who all is going to be there. Um, I just learned about that connection today. Yeah. So it's going to be a full day event of everybody just, you know, here's how we change everything. That's fantastic. I, I hope everyone gets involved. Um, I know, like I said at the beginning, when we started talking is we continuously hear from whether it's strategic partners or followers, 
about the necessity of having a resource like what you're talking about um, with what's going on with the Acton Academy and Home Tribe um, and, and a, a platform for people to understand how to homeschool their kids and to change this stigma, this kind of pre-existing stigma around homeschooling. Um, and I, I am excited, you know, we were talking about how awful it has been over the last two years and how children have had really suffered the negative consequences and effects. But one of the things that's happened, it's been, I think, a surprising consequence to surprising to the school boards and to the government that parents had um, really not an opportunity. They were forced to see what was going on. They had a window into the classroom in a way that no one ever knew they would have. And we didn't like what we saw. And so things are changing and I'm starting to see a shift. And I always say, you know, if people, if every person that was upset by vaccine mandates or any other issue that's facing schools right now, if they would pull their children and homeschool them, if they would uh, connect with, with tools like home tribe and, and act in Academy and others, we, you and I might not even know each other. That's because true. we might not even have had the, the need to have this conversation because I guarantee that if uh, people start pulling their kids out of school in opposition to what's happening, in particular opposition to the vaccine mandates, mm-hmm. guess what's going to happen to the vaccine mandates? They're going to yeah. go away yeah. uh, because the elected officials will understand just how serious parents are. That's right. It's the and massive I, compliance that's it, keeping everything going. Absolutely. The massive compliance and, um, you know, to your point, I know it's not a unity project mission, but I will touch on it briefly. I know you ha- you guys just had uh, an event, but it's, it's also um, the nuclear family and the destruction of the nuclear family and uh, masculinity and, and fatherhood and all the things that go along with that. Yes, ma'am. So. You are absolutely right. And I'm grateful for so many good people that are in that. I'm grateful for what you guys are doing in this fight. I'm grateful. And that's what we need to do is, is those of us that are, seeing you know really i believe seeing this for what it is just encouraging one another connecting with one another and then empowering everybody else to go look not only should you fight back here are options here are Mm -hmm. ways to do it it doesn't have to be scary we're here to support you all right take the fear out of all that so the decisions aren't being made based out of anger based on fear we making our decisions based on what do humans actually need what do our young people need um, and, and, you know, I want more good men too. It's a big part of my mission is getting more good men involved with that, with what we're doing with Apogee and, and all that too. So, yeah. So I think it's, it's admirable and necessary, and it's going to be one of the key, I think, pillars to saving, saving our country and stopping what's going on right now. Tell everyone how they can follow what you're doing. I appreciate that very much. Um, if people want to learn about you know, Home Tribe, it's easy and on hometribe.com, actonacademy.org. So A-C-T-O-N academy.org. You can learn about the uh, the campuses we're launching. Um, you know, I'm active on Instagram just at my name and then the mentorship program, um, which right now is just for young men, but I'm heading out to Texas next week and we're going to throw in the, you know, we want to build something for, for the dads and the grown men who want to be mentors to our young men. Um, and that's all through Apogee, A-P-O-G-E-E, strong. Uh, myself and Tim Kennedy uh, rolling with that. So all of those things going on, all on the same mission of uh, of building strong young people. 
Fantastic. It's been so much fun talking to you today, Matt. You are an awesome guy and I can't wait to see you. I guess it'll be in July because we're attending and I, I think I'm speaking on a panel. So looking oh, forward awesome. to seeing, seeing you in person and keep up the good work. Um, everyone, please go follow what, what Matt and the Home Tribe uh, team are doing because I think it's going to be a huge resource for children, for parents, and really saving and, and changing what's going on uh, in the academic environment. So thank you very much, Matt. From all of us at the Unity Project, thank you for listening to today's podcast. We hope to continue producing content that amplifies voices, strategies, and resources. Please keep in mind that the Unity Project is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that relies on the contributions of our generous supporters to fuel the work we do in this movement. If you value our efforts, please consider making a tax-deductible contribution today by visiting our website at www.unityproject.com and clicking the donate button. We very much appreciate your continued support and confidence, without which our work wouldn't be possible.